0: chapter 2 of the junior classics volume 7 stories of courage and heroism this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by andrea coffee the junior classics volume 7 stories of courage and heroism by william patton the fight at the pass of thermopylae by charlotte m young there was a trembling in greece the great king as the greeks called xerxes the chief ruler of the east was marshalling his forces against the little free states that nestled amid the rocks and gulfs of the eastern mediterranean the whole of which together would hardly equal one province of the huge asiatic realm moreover it was a war not only on the men but on their gods the persians were jealous adorers of the sun and the fire they abhorred the idol-worship of the greeks and defiled and plundered every temple that fell on their way death and desolation were almost the best that could be looked for at such hands slavery and torture from cruelly barbarous masters would only too surely be the lot of numbers should their land fall a prey to the conquerors the muster place was at sardis and their greek spies had seen the multitude's assembling and the state and magnificence of the king's attendants envoys had come from him to demand earth and water from each state in greece as emblems that the land and sea were his but each state was resolved to be free and only Thessaly, that which lay first in its path consented to yield the token of subjugation a council was held at isthmus of corinth and attended by deputies from all the states of greece to consider the best means of defence the ships of the enemy would coast round the shores of the aegean sea the land army would cross the hellespont on a bridge of boats lashed together and march southwards into greece the only hope of averting the danger lay in defending such passages as from the nature of the ground were so narrow that only a few persons could fight hand to hand at once so that courage would be of more avail than numbers the first of these passes was called tempe and a body of troops was sent to guard it But they found that this was useless and impossible and came back again the next was at thermopylae look in your map of the archipelago or aegean sea as it was then called for the great island of negropont or by its old name euboea it looks like a place broken off from the coast and to the north is shaped like a head of a bird with the beak running into a gulf that would fit over it upon the main land and between the island and the coast is an exceedingly narrow strait. The Persian army would have to march round the edge of the gulf. They could not cut straight across the country, because a ridge of mountains called Ada rose up and barred their way. Indeed, the woods, rocks, and precipices came down so near the seashore that in two places there was only room for one single wheel track between the steppes and the impassable morass that formed the border of the gulf on its south side these two very narrow places were called the gates of the pass and were about a mile apart there was a little more width left in the intervening space but in this there were a number of springs of warm mineral water salt, and sulphurous which were used for the sick to bathe in and thus the place was called thermopylae or the hot gates a wall had once been built across the westernmost of the narrow spheres when the thessalians and phocians who lived on either side of it had been at war with one another but it had been allowed to go to decay since the phocians had found out that there was a very steep narrow mountain path along the bed of a torrent by which it was possible to cross from one territory to the other without going round this marshy coast road this was therefore an excellent place to defend the greek ships were all drawn up on the further side of vioboa To prevent the persian vessels from getting into the strait and landing men beyond the pass and a division of the army was sent off to guard the hot gates the council at isthmus did not know of the mountain pathway and thought that all would be safe as long as the persians were kept out of the coast path the troops sent for this purpose were from different cities and amounted to about four thousand who were to keep the pass against two millions the leader of them was leonidas who had newly become one of the two kings of sparta the city that above all in greece trained its sons to be hardy soldiers dreading death infinitely less than shame leonidas had already made up his mind that the expedition would probably be his death perhaps because a prophecy had been given at the temple of delphi that sparta should be saved by the death of one of her kings of the race of hercules He was allowed by law to take with him three hundred men, and these he chose most carefully, not merely for their strength and courage, but selecting those who had sons, so that no family might be altogether destroyed. These Spartans, with their helots or slaves, made up his own share of the numbers, but all the army was under his generalship it is even said that the three hundred celebrated their own funeral rites before they set out lest they should be deprived of them by the enemy since as we have already seen it was the greek belief that the spirits of the dead found no rest till their obsequies had been performed such preparations did not daunt the spirits of leonidas and his men and his wife gorgo not a woman to be faint-hearted or hold him back long before when she was a very little girl a word of hers had saved her father from listening to a traitorous message from the king of persia and every spartan lady was bred up to be able to say to those she loved best that they must come from home from battle with the shield or on it either carrying it victoriously or borne upon it as a corpse when leonidas came to Thermopylae. The Phocians told him of the mountain path through the chestnut woods of Mount Eta, and begged to have the privilege of guarding it on a spot high up on the mountainside, assuring him that it was very hard to find at the other end, and that there was every probability that the enemy would never discover it. He consented, and, encamping around the warm springs, caused the broken wall to be repaired, and made ready to meet the foe. The Persian army were seen covering the whole country like locusts, and the hearts of some of the southern greeks in the pass began to sink their homes in the peloponnesus were comparatively secure had they not better fall back and reserve themselves to defend the isthmus of corinth but leonidas though sparta was safe below isthmus had no intention of abandoning his northern allies and kept the other peloponnesians to their post only sending messengers for further help presently a persian on horseback rode up to reconnoiter the pass he could not see over the wall but in front of it and on the ramparts he saw the spartans some of them engaged in active sports and others in combing their long hair he rode back to the king and told him what he had seen now xerxes had in his camp an exiled spartan prince named emeritus who had become a traitor to his country and was serving as counsellor to the enemy xerxes sent for him and asked whether his countrymen were mad to be thus employed instead of fleeing away but demeritus made an answer that a hard fight was no doubt in preparation and that it was the custom of the spartans to array their hair with special care when they were about to enter upon any great peril xerxes would however not believe that so petty a force could intend to resist him and waited four days probably expecting his fleet to assist him but as it did not appear the attack was made the greeks stronger men and more heavily armed far better able to fight to advantage than the persians with their short spears and wicker shields and beat them off with great ease it is said that xerxes three times leapt off his throne in despair at the sight of his troops being driven backwards and thus for two days it seemed as easy to force a way through the spartans as through the rocks themselves nay how could slavish troops dragged from home to spread the victories of an ambitious king fight like freemen who felt that their strokes were to defend their homes and children that evening a wretched man named ephaltes crept into the persian camp and offered for a great sum of money to show the mountain path that would enable the enemy to take the brave defenders in the rear a persian general named Hadarnes was sent off at nightfall with a detachment to secure this passage and was guided through the thick forest that clothed the hillside in the stillness of the air at daybreak the phocian guards of the path were startled by the crackling of the chestnut leaves under the tread of many feet they started up but a shower of arrows was discharged on them and forgetting all save the present alarm they fled to a higher part of the mountain and the enemy without waiting to pursue them began to descend as the day dawned morning light showed the watchers of the grecian camp below a glittering and shimmering in the torrent bed where the shaggy forest opened but it was not a sparkle of water but the shine of gilded helmets and the gleaming of silvered spears moreover a man crept over the wall from the Persian camp with tidings that the path had been betrayed, that the enemy were climbing it, and would come down beyond the eastern gate. Still, the way was rugged and circuitous, the Persians would hardly descend before midday, and there was ample time for the Greeks to escape before they could thus be shut in by the enemy. There was a short council held over the morning sacrifice. Magistius, the seer, on inspecting the entrails of the slain victim, declared that their appearance boded disaster. Leonidas ordered him to retire, but he refused, though he sent home his only son. There was no disgrace in leaving a post that could not be held, and Leonidas recommended all the Allied troops under his command to march away while yet the way was open. As to himself and his Spartans, they had made up their minds to die at their post, and there could be no doubt that the example of such a resolution would do more to save greece than their best efforts could ever do if they were careful to reserve themselves for another occasion all the allies consented to retreat except the eighty men who came from messinae and the seven hundred thespians who declared that they would not desert leonidas there were also four hundred Thebans who remained, and thus the whole number was stayed with Leonidas to confront two million of enemies, or fourteen hundred warriors, besides the helots or attendants on the three hundred Spartans, whose number is not known, but they were probably at least one to each. Leonidas had two kinsmen in the camp, like himself, claiming the blood of Hercules, and he tried to save them by giving them letters and passages to Sparta, but one answered that he had come to fight, not to carry letters and the other that his deeds would tell all that sparta wished to know another spartan named dionyses when told that the enemy's archers were so numerous that their arrows darkened the sun replied so much the better we shall fight in the shade two of the three hundred had been sent to a neighboring village suffering severely from a complaint in the eyes one of them called put on his armor and commanded his helot to lead him to his place in the ranks the other called aristodemus who was so overpowered with illness that he allowed himself to be carried away with the retreating allies it was still early in the day when all were gone and leonidas gave the word to his men to take their last meal to-night he said we shall sup with pluto hitherto he had stood on the defensive and had husbanded the lives of his men but he now desired to make as great a slaughter as possible so as to inspire the enemy with dread of the grecian name he therefore marched out beyond the wall without waiting to be attacked and the battle began the persian captains went behind their wretched troops and scourged them on to fight with whips poor wretches they were driven on to be slaughtered pierced with the greek spears hurtled into the sea or trampled into the mud of the moras. but their inexhaustible numbers told at length their spears of the Greeks broke under hard service, and their swords alone remained. They began to fall, and Leonidas himself was among the first of the slain. Hotter than ever was the fight over his body, and two Persian princes, brothers of Xerxes, were there killed. But at length word was brought but that Hydarnes was over the pass, and that the few remaining men were thus enclosed on all sides. The Spartans and Thespians made their way to a little hillock within the wall, resolved to let this be the place of their last stand. But the hearts of the Thebans failed them, and they came towards the Persians, holding out their hands in entreaty for mercy. Quarter was given to them, but they were all branded with the king's mark as untrustworthy deserters. The helots probably at this time escaped into the mountains, while the small desperate band stood side by side on the hill, still fighting to the last some with swords, others with daggers, others even with their hands and teeth, till not one living man remained amongst them when the sun went down. There was only a mound of slain, bristled over with arrows. Twenty thousand Persians had died before that handful of men. Xerxes asked Emeritus if there were many more at Sparta like these, and was told there were eight thousand. The body of the brave king was buried where he fell, as were those of the other dead much envied were they by the unhappy aristodemus who found himself called by no name but the coward and was shunned by all his fellow-citizens no one would give him fire or water and after a year of misery he redeemed his honor by perishing in the forefront of the battle of plataea which was the last blow that drove the persians ingloriously from greece the greeks then united in doing honor to the brave warriors who had they been better supported, might have saved the whole country from invasion. The poet Simonides wrote the inscriptions that were engraved upon the pillars that were set up in the past to commemorate this great action. One was outside the wall where the most of the fighting had been. It seemed to have been in honor of the whole number who had for two days resisted. Here did four thousand men from Pelop's land against three hundred myriads footnote a myriad consisted of ten thousand bravely stand in honor of the spartans was another column go traveller to sparta tell that here obeying her we fell on the little hillock of the last resistance was placed the figure of a stony lion in memory of leonidas so fitly named the lion-like and the names of the three hundred were likewise engraven on a pillar at sparta lion pillars and inscriptions have all long since passed away even the very spot itself has changed new soil has been formed and there are miles of solid ground between mount eta and the gulf so that the hot gates no longer exist but more enduring than stone or brass nay than the very battlefield itself has been the name of leonidas two thousand three hundred years have sped since he braced himself to perish for his country's sake in that narrow marshy coast road under the brow of the wooded crags with the sea by his side. Since that time, how many hearts have glowed, how many arms have been nerved at the remembrance of the Pass of Thermopylae, and the defeat that was worth so much more than a victory. End of the fight at the Pass of Thermopylae by Charlotte M. Young. Recording by Andrea Coffey.